Greetings to each one in the name of Jesus. I invite you to 1 Peter chapter 2. Since there isn't Sunday school this morning, I'm going to try and incorporate something especially geared not only for the children, but especially to the, for the children as well, <coughs> a little later um, in the preaching. I don't know when this was the last time that you either said this or thought this or heard this and agreed. That's not fair. I don't deserve this. Why me? Don't they know I have rights? Probably if we do a close introspection, probably most of us not that long ago we probably had some niggling thought like this. Unless you're all very different than I am. That's human thinking, isn't it? But it's definitely not Christ-like thinking. Well, you may ask, well, isn't being fair and just, isn't that a Christian value? Yes, it is. From God's perspective, and for my, for my perspective to someone else. But normally not when it focuses on me. Because very often we're too closely tied to our own picture that we don't see the whole thing. We'd like to look at the last part of 1 Peter 2 this morning. And it talks about Christ and suffering. And our text is in the context of unjust employers and suffering employees or slaves who are suffering because they're doing right, because they did, they are right, because they are children of God, because they are Christians. And so they're going through hard times. And, G and Peter is responding to them and he is using Christ as a, as a model, as an example. And we like to, of course, focus especially on Christ this morning as we commemorate the suffering and death of Christ. We begin reading at verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. 
First of all, let's look at Christ as our example in life, in our lives. Peter writes, and he said, talked just a little earlier, he talks about servants, and he says, Be subject to your masters, even to those that are difficult. And if you, and if you get buffeted, if you get uh, mistreated because of wrong things that you did, of course you, you, we can expect that. But if you do well and then suffer because of that, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. And then verse 21 he says, For hereunto were you called, it's the Christian calling to endure in suffering for right. To take right as the principle and then to take the consequences of doing right, whatever that may be. Peter, uh, Paul writes to the Philippian church in chapter 1 verse 29 he says for unto you it is given on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him but also to suffer for his sake we know how important it is to believe it's, it's one of the cardinal essential musts of the Christian life and Paul writes and he says just as important as it is to believe you can count it also that things are not going to go well because you're doing this for his sake. And Peter goes on he says, you're called to this. This is not something that you're just invited to. You're called to this. This is an expectation. This is what you're destined to. This is what you're expected to follow because Christ also suffered It actually puts the suffering that these slaves went through on a bit of a higher plane, doesn't it? These, I'm sure these slaves could find comfort in the fact that knowing that Jesus also went through similar unpleasant experiences and they as his servants, as following Jesus, this is almost becomes... Not something you look forward to, but it becomes somewhat of a privilege. It raises the level of why. In talking to brethren that have suffered physically for the sake of the gospel, brethren that have come out of communist persecution and so on, and there have been many of them, there have been those that I have talked to, and quite a few of them, they said it, it, it became not something that you wanted to do, but it became something that you took on and it wasn't something that you just dreaded and endured. This, this, just be, this was just part of, of being a Christian. That's what it was. That's what it was. Because Christ also suffered for us. And by enduring this unjust punishment and difficulty they bear a powerful testimony to the grace of God in their life. Christ's, Christ's power was not demonstrated by being tough, but it was demonstrated in weakness 
in humility and submission. Jesus had taught he would suffer. He had told that he must suffer. He had told his disciples this. That's what he was destined to do. That he would suffer for the sake of others. He would give his life a ransom for many. And he said just even before his crucifixion, probably words that are going to be repeated later this morning, for this is my blood of the New Testament which was shed for the many for the remission of sins. There was a, Jesus, this was his purpose in coming. But he also did say that those of be his followers could, could expect the same kind of treatment. Yes, we don't suffer for so that others' sins can be removed. We don't do that. But Jesus said, if you will be my followers, you can expect the same treatment. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, whatever that is, and follow me. Jesus left us an example, a copy to follow. I understand that that word example, that you should follow in the steps, means that you take and step in the, in the footsteps that he, exactly where his were. Take the same road. Not just follow a path that's somewhat, but with the same attitude, the same spirit, the same mentality. Jesus left us an example. Do as I have done. When this happens to you, do the same thing that I have done. Verse 22 continues to talk about Jesus says, who did no sin. Now this is the difference. In most cases, we suffer because of sin. We usually have at least a, a smidgen of a fault. And sometimes a whole lot. Jesus suffered totally, totally innocent. There was nothing, there was no charge that could be thrown at him that had any validity or truth. And those that were that he was the Son of God were true. They were charges, but they were true. He did no sin. He had no personal sin. None. There was no guile, there was no deceit, there was no insincerity, there was no craftiness, there was no underhandedness caught, visible in him. None at all. That was the difference. And yet we are called to follow him. Who, when he was reviled, he didn't revile. When he suffered, he threatened not. There was absolutely no revenge, verbal or physical, of any kind. He didn't even he didn't even entertain the thought of you're going to get it back one day.
That was not even part of his thinking, of his mentality. He had no sharp railing. <coughs> I understand that that word, word reviling means that's a rebuke that bites, that wounds with a sting. Now if anybody could have given sharp words, Jesus could have. And they would have been true. And Jesus would have been able to give them with a godly attitude. And he chose not to. The Bible says when he suffered, and that, that understand that word suffered, is continuous, progressive. When he continually suffered, he continually threatened not. He just, under provocation of any kind, he kept silent. Not because he was stubborn. Not because he was insolent. But because he was right. Sometimes the best thing is to let truth be seen. instead of hurt. Even continual suffering brought no retaliatory words, no words of that predicted future judgment or suffering for these people. None of it. He didn't threaten. With all the accusations, and they were lies, that were thrown on him. They were to they was totally unjust, totally unfair, totally uncalled for. Just recently I was I was contemplating a little bit. Just 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 before all this, Jesus did such powerful things as raise Lazarus from the dead. He did don't you think the Pharisees and the scribes knew this? Of course they did. They knew about some of the, the other miracles and, and things that he had... That, that he, how, how did they dare do what they did? If it had been anybody but Jesus for any other cause than why this was happening... I pity those, 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 those poor Pharisees extremely. It's really true. They did not know what they were doing. They honestly did not know what they were doing. And Jesus, under all this, showed his power by letting it happen. What did he do? He No, he didn't just let it happen. The Bible says he committed himself to him, to God, who judges righteously. He handed over, he surrendered it, he delivered it to God. You've got, it's yours, you take care of it. 
That's, that's the only active thing that Jesus did was just to he didn't just let it run off. No. He, he actively committed it to God. He committed himself. He committed his cause into the hands of God. And I'm sure he kept delivering the, these revilers and their revilings to God as they kept pouring this on and wounding his heart. And all he did is just he didn't allow one of it to lodge with him, to somehow cling to him, and to somehow germinate and, and, and set foot in his being. Not at all. But he committed it to God. Gave it over to God. He recognized that his suffering was the righteous due for sin, not his own sin, but the sin of the world. God was judging. God was acting righteously in allowing all this to happen. Was it fair? No. Not really. But was the fairest thing that could be done so that we could be helped out of the biggest predicament of mankind, and that is sin. And Jesus believed that God would vindicate Christ as being righteous when it was all done. He committed himself to him that judges righteously. God, you will take you you take full charge of this. This is your this is your program. This is your situation. I am but a vessel in your hand. And I, I'm just committed to your cause and I'm committed to your outcome. I'm willing to do it. Not because of who he was, but because of what we needed. In Isaiah chapter 53, just verses that are familiar to us. It says, He was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. None of this was for his benefit. This was for us. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. Tremendously powerful testimony. I'm sure it aggravated those Pharisees because if anybody should be able to speak when it's right, it's God. And God chose to be quiet. He was taken from prison and from judgment 
And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. For me. For me. We sang that this morning. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence. <coughs> Neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Because of us. We're going to continue. But first of all, children, here's a story. Now this story is a little different than about Jesus dying for us. But you know, if Jesus had been just an ordinarily man like your dad or any one of us ministers or any person like that, we would have we would have you would have all said that that isn't fair that they're doing this to my dad or to this other person. But Jesus did this because he loved us so much and we needed help. And this was the only way that we could be helped from sin is by Jesus dying for our sins. Now here's a story about a boy named Jack. And Jack is a bit of a troubled boy. One letter, one day a letter came to Mr. and Mrs. Stone asking if they would take Jack, who was nine years old, who didn't have any parents, into their home. Mr. Stone said, I've heard that Jack is not a nice boy. I've heard that his influence on other children will not be good. But I think we have to do something to help him. So Jack came into their home and he did just as what they expected. In his fits of temper he broke the toys that belonged to his cousins. When he was punished he'd only say, I don't care. Now Susie was a gentle little girl and in her loving way she tried to help Jack. But one day he became very angry with her. He pulled her hair he took her best doll and threw it in the fire. Now in the attic of the home where Jack and Susie lived there was a room that used to have been the nursery. Because the window had some iron bars across it the children called it a jail room. Mrs. Stone decided that Jack needed to go there and he needed to stay there until he was sorry. I don't care, replied Jack. And so he stayed there all day. Mother, said little Susie that night after she had gone to bed, I can't sleep thinking of Jack alone in that jail room with no light, nothing to eat but bread and water. After three days, Jack was still stubborn. When Mrs. Stone talked to him, all he would say is, I don't care. Finally, Susie said, Mother, may I take Jack's place for a while? Well, yes, I suppose you can. So Susie ran upstairs and knocked on the attic door. I asked Mother if I might stay here this afternoon instead of you, Jack. Would you like to go outside in the sunshine? Jack looked at her unbelieving. Why are you so foolish? he asked. He ran downstairs, put on his hat and coat, ran outside. When it was time for the evening supper, Mrs. Stone called Jack and says, Would you please take Susie the bread and water? 
Must Susie, Susie stay there all night if I don't? He asked. Of course. Jack ran up into the attic, bursting into tears. He said, Susie, you are so good, I will never, never, ever treat you mean again. I am sorry. I will try to do good. I will. He threw his arms around his little girl's neck and he cried hard. Big boy that he was. That was the end of trouble with Jack. You know, sometimes we think, if people do me wrong, I'll do it back. That just makes another wrong. It doesn't make anything right. It just makes another wrong. Now, Susie went and took Jack's place. <coughs> Jesus really didn't take our place because he did something for us that we couldn't have done anyway. But he, he, did, he did that for us which we couldn't do. And he helped us. And it was because of that. The Bible says we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. That's why. And it is, it is the love of Jesus that, that moves men and women to want to follow Jesus. Jesus did what he did. It was unfair. But he never, never complained. Never. Going on with our text this morning. Jesus, our sin bearer. Verse 24. Who in his own self bear our sins in his own body on a tree. Just like a lamb on its way to sacrifice to the altar. And it carried the sin of the individual who was sacrificing it. Jesus carried our sins as a burden to the cross to the tree fashioned out of wood or the cross that was fashioned out of wood from a tree you know a lot of people today have a bit the idea Jesus is our good example but Jesus as our example didn't save us Jesus as the Lamb of God saved us yes it's the same individual but it wasn't the exampleship of Jesus that saved us it was the Lamb that saved us In fact, John the Baptist said very early in Jesus' ministry, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is much more than just an example. He is an example, definitely. But for us, He's much more. He is the Lamb. And what Jesus did for us, He bare his sin, our sin in His body on the tree, that we, first of all, being dead to sin, could live, should live to righteousness. This way, the power of the sin nature in the individual can be broken. <coughs> if someone is dead to sin, that we being dead to sin, that means that we're departed from it, we're absent from it. When someone is dead, he's not really there, active anymore. That was the purpose of Christ's passion. Not just that our past sins can be removed, but that I do not need to continue following this path. There's such a thing as freedom from sin. 
I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I'm not talking about once saved, always saved. But there's such a thing as freedom from the power of sin, of being enslaved to sin. Not just the release of guilt, no, but free. I don't need to anymore. To be separated from it. And to have a new life of righteousness. Jesus did that so that we could be free. Not just free from the past. But I can be free in my present. I can be free in the future. And I don't need to walk in sin anymore. That doesn't mean that we become careless and indifferent. And just do as we please. Definitely not. That doesn't mean that we can't be tainted by sin anymore, that we can't be affected by it, that we can't fall into it, and that we can't go back to that old life. That can all happen. But as we walk in newness of life, we can be free. And secondly, that there can be healing, spiritual healing, by whose stripes you're healed. Those severe beatings that Jesus took, awful that actually probably lashed his back open so that exposed veins, inner muscles, maybe even organs. Who knows? Severe shredding of the body almost. And Christ's healing, Christ's stripes bring spiritual healing. In Luke chapter 4, <coughs> it says that Jesus was sent to heal the brokenhearted. In Hebrews chapter 12 verse 13 it says, Wherefore lift up the hands that hang down the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet lest that which is lame be turned out of the way rather that we can be healed spiritually. Spiritual healing brings about salvation. For this people's heart is waxed gross their ears are dull of hearing their eyes have they closed lest at any time they should see with their eyes hear with their ears understand with their heart should be converted and I should heal them. Christ's healing brings about Christ's sufferings bring about a spiritual healing in people's lives. And then thirdly let's look at Christ as the shepherd and bishop. The Bible we read in Isaiah 53 that all we like sheep have gone astray. Sheep need a shepherd. Sheep left to themselves don't do very well at all. We were as sheep going astray but we've been returned unto the shepherd. The one that can give us guidance. We lack that. We were on our own. We were lost. All we like sheep had gone astray. We had turned everyone to his own way. We were caught in the thickets and brambles and and in the dangers of 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 spiritual life. We were destined for destruction. But the shepherd came and he found us. For now ye are as sheep. When we have accepted what Jesus Christ has done, that He became our sin bearer. He became our sufferer. He became our salvation. He is our salvation. 
when he is our when he is our savior and he was our sin bearer then he should now also become our shepherd sheep do best when they follow the shepherd and the shepherd is the one who cares for his sheep as well as the bishop a bishop is someone who oversees another person's welfare he is somewhat of a guardian of a soul guardian of a protector of a director that's the responsibility of a bishop <laughs> follows along with being a shepherd he's somewhat of an observer of an inspector and a, making sure that there's protection and care for those under his direction as sheep that have been going astray we have now returned to the shepherd and the bishop of our souls previously we were scattered but through what Jesus has done we have become united we've become attached and we become part of one flock and that's why even in our commemoration today it's not something we just do individually between us and God it's, sometimes it's something we do collectively as a body as a flock that's what makes it meaningful it's not just something that where we each just take communion because I have a relationship with God it's we do and we have a relationship with each other both of these connections are very 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 important in closing Christ's suffering had a purpose yes he was innocent yes he didn't deserve this but it was God ordained for our benefit so that man could have salvation that man could have healing that man could become righteous that man could receive guidance and protection and direction Jesus did this for me and so also when we encounter suffering for the sake of righteousness let us take it as well that that is not without purpose not with, should not be without effect but to do so in the spirit and in the example of Christ for our own benefit for the benefit of others to reflect God's grace 